0: Morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski and today we have a, a very, very special episode that is near and dear to my heart. We have the one and only Morgan Mello. She was my number one closer at Carta, my number one closer at PAVE. I think her historical attainment is something like 250% or something ridiculous like that. One of the best sellers I've ever worked with in my life. Nick, why should people listen? Armand,
1: I thought you and I put together a pretty good negotiation playbook episode, but Morgan was almost better than that. She takes us through, like, laughing when somebody asks for a discount, using different levers to maximize your commission, and how to set up your discovery calls so that the negotiation is a breeze. Three, two, one. Ho, 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 ho.
0: No discounts.
1: Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free
0: in the show notes.
1: All right, Morgan, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three.
2: Well, thanks, Nick. Yeah, so number one, bring hypotheses both about your buyer and the company that you're meeting with to your discos so that you can cut through a lot of the noise. Basically, that means like you should know some of the buying triggers that are out there, both on the persona level and on the company level. It's okay to make assumptions. Like we do that in outbound. We should also do that in discovery to get to the point. If you're wrong, it's not the end of the world. They'll probably tell you what is the right answer.
1: Beautiful. What's number two?
2: Yeah, number two. My style of selling is pretty consultative, I would say. And so number two is sort of in that vein. Ask questions with embedded experience so that you can establish yourself as credible. That usually looks something like, hey, normally I see folks doing X, Y, or Z. Are you one of those buckets? Or do you do something a little bit more bespoke versus the traditional, tell me about your process?
1: Very nice, Morgan. Round us out. What's
2: number three? Sure. Yeah, this is my favorite one. So uh <laughs> when a customer asks you for a discount, laugh at them. People just like to ask. And so sometimes I find if you can you can laugh, uh, you can usually either get away with no discount or there's a whole lot of other ways that you can go. But if you do points one and two effectively, you should know where you stand going into that negotiation and you should actually know where you should have to go when it comes to a discount.
0: Love it. All right. So let's actually go back to number one here. So my guess is you're not jumping on the calls and saying, hey, it's nice to meet you. You just raised around, round. And so my guess is you're trying to do your valuation on this date. How can I help you with that? My guess is you're being a little bit more slick than that. And so when is the right time or how do I actually weave in these hypotheses, questions into my discovery process?
2: Sure. There's definitely a wrong way to do this, <laughs> to your point. Definitely always, I always start my calls trying to get a feel of why they took the call if I don't know already, even if I already sort of know. I will regurgitate why I think they took the call and confirm if that is correct. And then oftentimes with sort of what they tell me is the reason why they took the call. Usually I can have some sort of buying trigger that I identified as part of my research that I can inject at that point and say, yeah, I saw you were doing X, Y, and Z. So kind of the three points that we usually hit on are helping people hire more effectively, helping people retain more effectively, and then helping you plan your compensation better and knowing what to pay your people. And so depending on the size or stage of company that I'm looking at going into a call, if I see something like it's a 150 person company, but a year ago, they had 40 people, I know that hiring is going to be their priority numero uno. And so I'm not going to spend my call focusing on something like retention, or you're going to look kind of like an idiot. <laughs> Versus if I'm working with a company, for example, that is pre-IPO, I know that when a company gets pre-IPO, they care about a couple of things. One, compliance. Two, retention, because people tend to scatter the minute that they get close to the exit. And so I'm going to focus more onto those things. And bringing that perspective in my questions shows that I actually know what I'm talking about. And when you give a little bit of that credibility, they're, they're much more leaned in and they're much more willing to give you a lot more information. Than if you're just asking these very high level generic questions that you could ask any prospect,
0: what you're doing is you're doing some give and take. You're saying like, Hey, I know my business. I'm giving you some options. I'm trying to bring you down the right path to show you that, Hey, this is how you're going to solve problems with pave. But a lot of times reps just interrogate people without giving anything in return. And so if I'm a new rep trying to do my first discovery call, what's the right time to do give and take in my disco.
2: Yeah one is that the way that you ask your questions and I think we've sort of talked about that a little bit already can get have a little bit of give just saying hey we normally see X Y or Z or normally people that are doing that we sort of help them by doing this and then ask another question so I think you can you don't have to ask all questions first of all <laughs> like sometimes some of like the most green discos I've watched it's just question after question after question after question and it's Brutal. And so I think you have to have a mix of asking questions and giving information. Sometimes that's giving information about processes. Sometimes that's giving information about what the product does. Armand, like, probably what you're referring to is I'm never really one to give this pitch per se about any product that I'm selling. I like to sort of weave it in here and there and then sum it up toward the end versus waiting till the very end and, and your prospects sitting there, like, okay, I've answered all of these questions and I have no idea what you do. Because that's really frustrating as a buyer. And it's really frustrating to watch.
0: Morgan, ideally at this point, we've done some really good discovery. We've done some playbacks. We've told stories. We have positioned ourselves as an advisor. And I want to transition over to negotiation. And so oftentimes the first place negotiation starts is at the end of that first call, they're asking you for price. And so I'm curious mm-hmm. if you have any best practices on, should I hide price? Should I say it? Should I give a range? Like, What do I do when someone asks me for price on the first call?
2: Sure. Yeah. So. I would say 75% of the time, probably I get asked for a price on the first call. And the, I think the first rule is when somebody asks you for price, your first go to should never be to conceal price. Like you've just worked all of your discovery to establish yourself as credible and valuable to the prospect. You're trying to get on their side so that you can ultimately go at the org together like my goal is always for them to forget that I'm a salesperson. That's always my my goal. So when they ask me about price, I never shy away from it because I think that's a massive red flag. What I do though, is I'll usually, instead of telling them what the price is, I'll tell them how the pricing works. And so that's something like, oh, of course, like happy to talk about price. The way that our pricing usually works is one, the employee count that you're at when you sign up. And two is really the products you're using, which at this point, I generally have No idea what that might look like. And I know we're getting up to the end of time here. And so I think it might make sense for us to hop on another call. I can kind of run you through the product suite. We can talk about things a little bit bigger picture and you can tell me what you want. And I can come prepared to put together a proposal for you on that call. Would that make sense? So I try to get ahead of that. Sometimes, look, people are going to push you and push you and push you because maybe they really do have a meeting with their CFO tomorrow or they already have a defined budget for this and, and they're in the initial phases of an RFP. And I think it is okay to give them a rough estimate. I like to joke about it. I'm always like famous last words of the salesperson. Don't hold me to this, but <laughs> here's kind of like what you could expect because otherwise if price is that important to them and you're way off the mark, you're wasting your time and theirs. And so it's really not worth it, but at least push once.
1: I love what you're doing there, which is saying, Hey, I want to give you pricing. Here's how it works. Like, I think so many people, they get salespeople, they get ingrained in their brain that when somebody asks about pricing, the only thing the customer cares about is the dollar figure. And we've learned that customers actually care about a lot of things like the structure of pricing, the other commercial terms. And so immediately you're saying, All right, you're asking about price. Let me explain all of how the commercial terms work, how we structure these things. And then you're saying, You're here. I want to get you to where you understand price. Here's what I need to understand about you.
0: Well, Morgan, I guess my question is, now that we've got at least a range established, maybe it's after one, two, three calls. And eventually we have to get to the point where we can't just be giving generalities or ranges. And so when we actually give price, everyone really overthinks it. Some people say, say it and then shut up. Other people do this, how does it feel thing? What's the right way to actually deliver price once I get to that point?
2: Sure. Yeah. I think probably the most important thing when you're giving price is to feel confident in the way that you're delivering price. And so in my upfront contract, I do like to say, Hey, this is what I'm planning to cover today. And then we'll go through pricing. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover just to make sure that they're not. And so that they know that pricing is coming and I'm not holding it away from them again, because a lot of salespeople do that. And then your buyer is distracted the whole call. When you actually get to the point of going over pricing. And so I like to tee up our pricing and say, hey, like I explained to you, it's really based on two things, what products you're using and the size of your employee count when you sign up. What it is not is that, you know, I say, you might be used to other HR tech where they're charging you a price per employee per month. So it's a moving target all year long when you're growing and then you're you're gonna get charged when you change from ADP to workday and you're gonna get charged when you wanna call support and you're gonna get charged for all these things. We don't do any of that. I'm like, this is very all-inclusive all-inclusive resort style pricing, what you see is what you get. And so it is gonna feel a little bit high, but what you're looking at annually is 55,000 or or whatever it might be. And then I do shut up and just wait for them to lean in. I don't like to ask how does that feel? Because I don't know, it just kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit, but I might say something like, is that sort of within the ballpark of what you were thinking? But I ask it very confidently. What I've seen go very wrong is that a rep, they don't say anything they give price and it's silent and they go, but I can get you a discount. Horrible, bad, bad. (laughs) So that is not what we want to do. If if you start giving uh, unsolicited discounts, you're not only making your contract value shrink immediately, but you're also, I think, killing the value of your product and service all around.
0: So naturally, you're going to get some reaction at this point. Let's say I'm like, Morgan, that's like, insanely expensive I was expect you said 80k I thought it was going to be 50k like what's the deal here how do I deal with that situation where someone's just anchoring me super low
2: sure yeah kind of a complex question because if you've sort of done your discovery process correctly you should have a general feel like your spidey senses should be relatively in line to know whether or not they're going to be that sort of person that's gonna try to lowball you off the bat. And so I think what you actually need to figure out and knowing your persona, knowing their buying process will help you get there is trying to figure out sort of what their objective is in beating you up on price. And the way that I've kind of put it into sort of uh, three different buckets, if you will, one is like the people that just want a discount, Armand, I think you're one of those people. You just want to walk away as a winner. I get it. It's fine. There's always going to be those people. I can work with those people. And I think you have a lot more latitude with those type of people because they probably don't have an exact number. They just want a W. Then there's the, you're in a competitive deal cycle and the other product happens to be one third of the cost of your product been there. It's another thing we can work on. And that's a different strategy. (laughs) Probably the bucket is just that they actually have like a defined budget. And, And oftentimes that's when you're working with a maybe slightly below the line person that was given a very specific budget and a very specific objective to go find a tool to solve a problem. And that's probably the trickiest one because you actually sort of have a mold that you have to fit into. So not to question your question, but sort of if that's the type of person, I think first, like what type of bucket would they fall in? And then probably the strategy that we take is very different than if they're in a different bucket.
1: So let's say you're in that scenario and Armand hits you with, oh, I thought it was going to be 50. And like, maybe your spidey senses are a little bit off and like, you're not entirely sure which camp Armand falls into. What are you doing there to figure out? Like one, how do you handle like, you got hit in the face right there. What do you actually respond when he says that? And then how are you asking questions to figure out what camp he falls into so you can behave accordingly?
2: In that specific situation, I would laugh. If, if I just told him it was 80k and I've and we've gone through now probably an hour of how valuable this is and he's told me how much he likes the product and how he's got all these problems and then he hits me with 50k and be like 50k and see what he says because then he might laugh back and realize that it was a ridiculous question or a ridiculous lowball and then you're sort of then you can get back into reality what I wouldn't recommend doing and what I've seen people do very wrong is like oh 50k okay, let me talk to my boss and I'd love to see like how we can get there. There's probably some things we can do. No, I would say there's no chance in hell I can get to 50K. Like I think you and I both know that that would be a ridiculous discount, (laughs) but there are certain things I can do. Uh, But before we even go down that path, like I need to know that PAVE is your number one choice because we don't really do discounts here. And for me to go burn political capital internally I need to know that we at least have a shot. So like, can we get a little bit more transparent around kind of what you're looking for here? And then I'll go from there. And usually you can get a little bit more realistic than these like 50% discount asks.
1: Okay. So now let's say you've Armand's like, well, honestly, I need a discount because my business partner, Nick, I really want to impress him. I want to come back with a win. Like if I come back and I don't get anything from you off the list price, like he's going to laugh at me. I'm losing face. So you quickly uncover Armand's like the guy who just needs a win. How do you proceed there?
2: Yeah. He's just looking for street cred. So I think that's actually my favorite bucket. When somebody just wants street cred, I treat the ARR on any deal I've ever had. Like it is pure gold and I don't want to touch it if I don't have to. And most of the time, I don't. (laughs) So I think this is a really good situation where you can use sort of a a distraction, if you will, and give that as a win. So like we can charge 10% implementation fees. I never do. I never have. I've never charged implementation fees in any company, but it's a great way to create the perception of a big win. (laughs) So in that sort of situation, I might say, well, you know what, Armand, Like normally we're going to charge a 20% implementation fee for your first year. One thing I'm going to do so that your partner, Nick, is happy camper is like, we're just going to go ahead and wave that. Don't tell anybody. Like, I I don't want other other buyers to know that that's something that we can do. But for you with the specific situation, I do want to make that happen. It's not really a lie, but I think it is important to make. Make it a big deal that you are giving them some sort of concession. You should never give any sort of concession without getting something in return. So before I even give you this waived implementation fee that I don't care about in the first place, I need to know what you're going to give me in advance or in return. So I would say something like, great, happy to help you win it, win it over with Nick because I know you really want this. The first thing I'm going to get asked when I try to give you any sort of concession is what we can get in return. So the most common one is timeline. Like, How quick can we move if I can get you that discount? And if you're like, oh, I can move right away. Great. Then I'm going to start actioning on that right away. And if timeline isn't something, then you can use other levers. Uh, One that I really like to use sometimes is something that's going to be a huge pain for the prospect. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, happy to give you 10% off. We actually have a referral program for that. So all I need is for you to introduce me to two other prospects that would love to use our product. They don't have to sign up or anything like that. It's not like a timeshare, but just like make the intro. And then I can give you that discount to get you going. Does that work? I like to use that when they have a quick timeline, because then they're not going to want to do all this work before they want to get going. And eventually they're just like, ah, forget it. I'll just pay the full price.
0: Morgan, you mentioned that we've got the implementation fee thing, and then we've got all of these other things where we have this referral program, what are other levers that I can pull in a negotiation so that I don't have to touch ARR and I can still make them feel like they've gotten a win?
2: Sure. Yeah, and I think this is probably different depending on everyone's company and, and their deal cycle and whatnot. But before I ever touch the contract value, I kind of like to miss their question that they're asking for a discount and be like, sure, like happy to work on billing terms or happy to give you other things. So I think billing terms is one, right? Try to understand, is it the total cost or is it the upfront cost that's killing them? Because if it's the upfront cost that's killing them, why would you touch the total cost? Just tell them, oh, we can do quarterly payment terms or something like that. So billing terms is a very common one that I think is oftentimes underutilized. Another one is free months. I like to use that one when, uh, let's say, they don't really need to start implementation for two months but you really want the contract this month. And we all know that time kills all deals. And so I think you can call that out. Like, look, I know you don't actually need to get this going until two months from now. And so it's probably kind of painful for you to to pay for this contract right now. So what might make sense and what I can do is give you two free months off the contract so that you're not really paying for this time. But then we both win because we're not rushed in implementation. That's one that I, I really like. Depending on models, like I like to lock in pricing for the year. If they're growing super fast and you're based on number of seats or something like that, locking them in for the year is a discount built into itself. And they just don't put it together in their head sometimes. And so sometimes even laying that out and saying that that's very non-standard is another way to to make a discount.
1: One of the things that I've been taught is like anytime I'm doing a give, especially related to commercial terms, like what I want to do is make it like play up how hard it was to get this. Like if I'm like, oh yeah, no problem. We can change quarterly billing. They're like, oh, maybe I should ask for more because Nick gave it away very easily. So that's one camp, which is like, I say, hey, I got to get an approval. I leave the call. I call them two days later. And I'm like, hey, I like had a long talk with my CFO. We can do this. So camp one is like, make it like seem like it was really hard. The other is like, other camp, I want to speed up the deal cycle. And so you want to like negotiate live. I guess, can you talk a little bit about your philosophy there?
2: Yeah. I think there's a time and place for both for what it's worth. And I think you did a good job sort of bifurcating what those two different situations might be. Bifurcating. I really like to make Armand the bad guy every now and then. Oh, my boss hates discounts when really it's me that hates discounts. But I think where it might make sense to do it live on the call is when you actually have built that relationship with the prospect and You're sort of willing to work with them and make it seem like you're really doing them a lot of favors, and it's okay to have some autonomy sometimes. I just make it seem like it's very non-standard that I would do that, if that makes sense. So it's something like, "Look, Nick, I really like you. I really want to make this work. I know you really want the product. I already know what I can get approved. To be honest with you, and I can tell you right now that the biggest discount we ever give (laughs) to new customers is twenty percent to just save us some back and forth. I'm happy to just edit your proposal right now and give you the 20% discount. But in return, I'm going to need probably you to move pretty quickly on timeline. Do you think we can get this done by the 30th? My mentality is always that if I am going to get a cut off of my precious ARR, I only take one cut and I tell them it's the biggest cut we do no questions asked. I don't open it up for a discussion because then you get in this whole back and forth and back and forth. And then nobody feels like they won at the end of the day. And so I always have a very confident and consistent narrative around, this is the maximum discount. This is what I can do. What can you do for me? Let's get this done.
1: So Morgan, how about the other scenario where, okay, we're no longer negotiating with Armand, who's competing for sport. We're negotiating with a competitive battle. The competitor's a third cheaper, two thirds cheaper. You're all the way up here. And they're like, you're not getting this because you're too expensive. What's your approach there?
2: My rule with this one applies also such that I would not even start negotiation about price until I know where their number one pick. This is a really good opportunity to get a verbal commit (laughs) that you are the number one pick so that you know kind of where you stand in the deal. And once you know you're the number one pick, Again, you should know why you're the number one pick. You should know the, the kind of top three things that they find valuable in your product. And you should know what the competitor does. Where you're in a really tough spot and where I think you kind of have to cave oftentimes is when their solution and your solution happen to be almost identical. Then it's like, okay, is really the only differentiator price. If you don't have like way better service or way better support or like a better commercial model all around, you're probably gonna have to come down on price and make it work. If that's not the case, which is usually the case with us, where the competitor that they're talking about does a third of what we do. I just have to make that extremely clear for the prospects. Like, look, I understand you're looking at this different tool. Candidly, like they kind of do a third of what we do. And that's why they're kind of a third of the price of what we do. My understanding was that uh, this part and this part of what we do are actually very important to you. Am I kind of off am I off there? Because one thing that we could do is pull out and I pull out something that they really like. Like if I know that uh, they really love our total rewards portal, right? I'm like, look, what I could do is actually just like take the total rewards portal out of the package. And then we can probably get a lot closer to that price that you're wanting. Like, would that be a little bit better? And then they're like, Oh no, 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 no. I really love that thing. It's like, yeah, well that, that thing is expensive. And then you sort of have them justifying the price for you is how I like to get there.
0: So Morgan, you mentioned this way at the beginning of the interview where you're like, look, if you have done your discovery process right, you've built a relationship with your champion where they almost forgot that you're selling and you should know if you have the deal before you even get into negotiation, what are some things that I can do prior to the negotiation to tee myself up to know, hey, I've already got this one in the bag.
2: There's the obvious thing where you can always tell when a prospect is extremely leaned in and they're like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's really an obvious one. I think where it gets a little bit more complex is when you're working with somebody that's maybe, they're sort of the decision maker, but they're not the really end-all, be-all decision maker. Maybe they're like director level or their senior director level or something like that. And they're really the champion for you. One thing I really like to do is actually set up a call where I say, hey, look, my guess is you have to like do a little roadshow and sell this internally. And you probably want some collateral to do that. So you look like you really did your homework. I can put together a preliminary deck that sort of summarizes like the main things we talked about, what the sort of products are, what implementation looks like, other customers, all that kind of stuff. What else do you think would be helpful to see in that deck that would help you sell this internally? And then I set up a time where for 30 minutes and I make it a Google Slides deck or whatever that they can edit. And we kind of jam on it together. And we talk about how they're going to sell it internally. You listen very carefully because the way that they're going to sell it internally is the way that their internal buyers and that your ultimate decision maker, that's what they really care about.
1: Morgan, this has been a phenomenal episode. I used to think I would never want to negotiate against Armand more than anybody in the world. And you have now taken his place at the top of the hill as the person I don't want to negotiate against. But I won't negotiate with you. I'm going to instead just ask you the final question. Final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things that salespeople should be incorporating into the work that they do. Now let's flip that on its head. I want to ask about what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps.
2: One thing that I've seen a lot of very green reps do in an effort to build rapport, I think, is ask the prospect, what is your role? Horrible horrible. I hate that question. It's very important to understand how that person touches the process, but you should ask it in a way that we've talked about already, which is something like, hey, Armand, saw your sales at PAVE. My guess is at an early stage of startup, that can mean a whole lot of things. Curious sort of what falls under your plate today, and, and especially as it relates to this product.
1: Beautiful. Morgan, anything you want to plug before we jump off here?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're building a killer sales org over at PAVE. And we have a very non-traditional way of selling. If you haven't noticed, by the way, we kind of talked about it on this episode. We're looking for great mid-market reps. We're looking for great SDRs. Send us your applications. DM us on LinkedIn. We'd love to chat.
1: Well, there you go. Everybody connect with Morgan on LinkedIn. I can tell you, I've worked with Armand for a long time and I've listened to Morgan on sales calls. They're both really, really good. So if you're looking for somewhere to work, I might recommend messaging them. Anyways, stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Morgan Mello include number one, use typically questions demonstrating that you know their business and using those to demonstrate credibility. Don't just ask blind, open-ended questions. Number two, you should know you've got a deal in the bag before a negotiation based on your relationship with your champion. Number three, figure out all of the non-ARR impacting asks in your toolkit and use those as your first giveaways in a negotiation. And then lastly, number four, if you know you've got a deal in the bag, ask surprise or act surprised or laugh when you get asked for a discount because it's rather ridiculous that you would sacrifice your own ARR, which hits your quota. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out? I love reading reviews of this show.
1: I don't like looking at seeing people just put five stars. I like reading the qualitative stuff like, oh, that host Nick is so much better than the other guy. So if you haven't left us a written review, it really, really helps us out. I don't like to brag or I don't know, I don't like to to say how hard we work on this, but it's Sunday morning, Labor Day weekend, Me and Armand are recording 30 Minutes to President's Club episodes, so if you haven't left us a written review, it would warm my heart. Thanks, see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.